line from a holiday free skunk in the middle of no man's land. You reach Married with Comedy with Jeff Onyx and Joe Chandler. Strap in, boys and girls, and keep your arms and legs in the vehicle at all times. Because it's going to get comfy. What? So, Joe's not going to be here tonight. Um, joining me on the phone is going to be James R. Freeman later on. And um, so it's going to be fun. Welcome to the show. Married with Comedy. I'm Jeff Onyx. Uh, we're going to have an awesome, phenomenal, awesome show. Um, there's a weird stench in here because we are directly below a bathroom. And apparently it flooded in the last couple of days. So um, I can smell it. Just saying, Megan, smell it. Anyway, so before we do anything else, you need to know. You need to know that uh, you can send us fan mail, fan mail, care of Comedy Vets, P.O. Box 369, Lathrop, Missouri, 64465. Or if you are an angry feminist, you can send us hate mail, hate mail. Care of Comedy Vets, P.O. Box 369, Lathrop, Missouri, 64465. I'm curious about something. I'm going to... I don't want that, and I don't want that, and I don't want that. Boom. I was curious. I was just going to see if it would try to start over again, and I was right. Yeah, you You know what? If you want to, I can put you on the phone, Mrs. Onyx. You know what I'm saying, G? I could. I could put you on the phone. Mrs. Onyx was going to be my co-host tonight, but I had to get to the office early. And I had a feeling I needed to get here early. And because the flooding, um, I'm glad I did get here early because I was able to move some of the equipment out of the way so that it didn't get wet. Um, just in case that continues to, to get, you know, <laughs> the flooding from the toilet. Don't Don't put stuff in the toilet that doesn't belong in the toilet. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's what you should do. Not put stuff in the toilet. Today's trivia question. Trivia. Oh, trivia. Snap. So the trivia question today is. Boom, 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 boom. Boom, 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 boom. What American pioneer. No, no. The American pioneer John Chapman was famous for planting what kind of tree? American pioneer John Chapman was famous for planting what kind of tree? Tickety-tack, clickety-clack, let me know in the comments um, who you think. Uh, we'll let you know at the end of the show who that is, or um, not who that is, what 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 happened, what he did. All right, so this week in comedy history is going to be um, this person right there, that person. Yeah. So this week in comedy history is Tig Nataro, born Matilda O'Callaghan Nataro, on March twenty fourth, nineteen seventy one. She's an American act, uh, an American stand up comedian, writer, radio contributor, and actress. She's known for her deadpan comedy. Her acclaimed album, a live album, was nominated um, 
in 2014 for the Grammy Award for Best Comedy Album at 56th Annual Grammy Awards. The special Tignataro Boyish Girl Interrupted was nominated in 2016 at the 68th Primetime Emmy Awards for Outstanding Writing for a Variety Special. In 2017, the album Boyish Girl Interrupted was nominated for the Grammy Award for Best Comedy Album at the 59th Annual Grammy Awards. So, this person, Tig Nataro. And you might not know that Nataro was digitally inserted into put in post-production of the movie Army of the Dead when director Zack Snyder replaced Chris D'Elia after Chris was accused of sexual misconduct. So, Tig was inserted into the movie, which, when we watched the movie, we didn't know that. And all of all of the scenes were like perfectly suited for this whole thing. The only thing we thought was weird was one of the one of the scenes that go, "Who's this guy?" And Tig was like, "What? I'm I'm the pilot, right? I'm I'm the pilot. That's what I'm supposed to do. Whatever." Anyway, well, I can't remember what the line was, but she just like kept on with it. It was it was pretty interesting. So, yeah. This week in comedy history is Tig Nataro. Tig, Tig, is it Tig or Tig? I can't remember. Tig or Tig? I can't remember which. All right, well, we're gonna do the Ghetto Chef, and we're just gonna leave that thing up because Ghetto Chef is the. Oh my gosh, it's the whole thing. I didn't want the whole thing, bro. I just wanted that one recipe. Muffin tin biscuit puffs right here. Muffin tin biscuit puffs. So close that one. Muffin tin biscuit puffs. Okay. So uh, it's bisquick. Okay. And then you take the bisquick and you squeeze it into muffin tins. Ugh. What is up with all these poppity ups? Nobody cares about your stupid poppity ups. I'm never going to this website again. Oh, hate this website. So, uh, so Bisquick, um, ground beef. So let's look at the actual recipe. You know, why do we have to click like 15 different links just to get to a stupid recipe? So a lot of times in your commodities box, you'll have um, Bisquick. Oh, look, the recipe's not found. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so click here for the recipe you know what i'm saying you go ahead and have this recipe right here get the recipe right here boom nope nope okay i don't need the i don't need your stupid recipe to tell you what it is all right so you take bisquick and you squish it into the little muffin tins okay the small muffin tins all right and then you load it with whatever you want to put in there um, ground beef and cheese is like make a little cheeseburger things. Um, so you can make little, little beef pies doing that. So you just shove the bisquick in there, put some meat in it, put some cheese on top of it, throw it in the oven, bake it the same way you would bake biscuits. Keep an eye on it because it's going to be a little thin. Um, you know, the, the, it's not going to like have a, um, the consistency of a biscuit. Well, I mean, it will, but I'm saying, when you cook a biscuit, a biscuit is dense in the middle because it's got a lot of stuff. Well, this is going to have meat in the middle. So you just got to keep a, keep an eye on the browning around the edge. 
and you'll be able to tell when it's done. So easy to do. Muffin tin bisquick puffs. Muffin tin bisquick puffs. So you take bisquick, mix it like you normally would, put it in muffin tins, add you some ground beef and some cheese, throw it in the oven, cookie cook. Okay. It could also be done similar to this. Um, you can do um, chicken with some cheese on it. Throw in some chicken, a little bit of garlic, um, garlic powder or minced garlic. Put some cheese on top of it. You could use whatever kind of cheese you want. I'm sure the chicken ones would taste just as good as these beef ones look like. So there you go. That is the Ghetto Chef. Ghetto Chef. Yeah. So we're moving along. Ghetto Chef. You know what I'm saying? My hair is pretty today. I fell off a ladder yesterday and uh, hurt myself a little bit, but I was shy and I didn't want to tell anybody that I was hurt. So I just sat there whining about it. So you notice the camera's a little, little tilted? Or is that me? No, that, that's the camera tilted. Like I'm trying to overcompensate for the, the tilt, but no, camera's tilted. What can you do? Probably got hit by water. So yeah, that's what's going on. So we're going to be joined with Jay here in a little bit. I'm going to give him a holla holla in a few minutes in a couple minutes but um let's go back to the trivia question let you guys oh. boom i messed up oh i messed up the this week look watch this watch it was supposed to be ghetto chef but it was ghetto chef with the other thing under it ghetto chef boom trivia okay Remember the question for the trivia question is, American pioneer John Chapman was famous for planting what kind of tree? What kind of tree did John Chapman plant? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, trivia. If you want to send us fan mail, send us fan mail. Care of Comedy Vets, P.O. Box 369, Lathrop, Missouri 64465. If you're an angry feminist, you can send us hate mail. Hate M-A-L-E. Care of Comedy Vets, P.O. Box 369, Lathrop, Missouri 64465. Um, so what we've been doing is uh, during the live show, uh, there's a little bit of a description going on. But after the live show is over, um, what we do is we take... Uh, the timestamps for the different uh, segments of the episode. And we add that to the description. So that way, if you're watching this and it, you're not watching it live at the moment, but you want to, you know, watch it later on, you can jump to a specific timestamp to a specific um, segment. And then that way, you know, if for some reason you don't like a segment, like you don't like this week in comedy history and you just want to skip to ghetto chef, you can do that. Whatever. So, you can, or if or if you like the times when Jay's on the show, you can jump straight to that. If there's the time you like when Joe's on the show, jump straight to that. So, whichever one of those you want to do. So yeah, I think I think what I'm gonna do is it's like three minutes early, but I'm gonna I'm gonna call Jay anyway because um, I I feel like calling him three minutes early. He's gonna be like. Why are you calling me early? And I'm going to be like, because I can. Call you three minutes early if I feel like it. 
call you two minutes early if I feel like it. Technically, it's four minutes. No, now it's three minutes early. Three minutes early. He's not going to answer. Watch. Nope. He's not going to answer. It's Jay. No. Nope. my voicemail. Uh, <laughs> he says he's going to call me right back. Whatever, bro. All right. So today we're going to be talking about this guy. Um, let me put him up on the screen if I can. Boom. This guy, Ludwig. We're going to be talking about Ludwig. Ludwig Edward Boltzmann. Edward Ludwig Boltzmann. Okay? So this dude right here, Edward Ludwig Boltzmann. Edward Ludwig Boltzmann was born February 20th, 1844, and he died September 5th, 1906. He was an Austrian physicist and philosopher. Okay. His greatest achievements were the development of statistical me mechanics and the statistical explanation of the second law of thermodynamics. Thermodynamics. Boom. In 1877, he provided the current definition of entropy. Um, yep, entropy. Yep. He interpreted as a measure of statistical disorder of a system. Yep. And uh, Max Planck named the constant um, KB the Boltzmann constant. Because uh, Bolt, uh, Boltzmann is the one that came up with it. So, yeah. So we're going to be talking about this dude. And, yeah. We're going we're gonna to be talking about that dude. Right here. This guy. This guy. He's a real interesting dude. Okay, so let's, let's uh, switch over to... You know what? That's pretty much all of it right there. All right, so... Uh, this, this, this thing, this Wikipedia doesn't have everything that's going on. Okay. So this dude, he started college when he was 19. Okay. He was, he was a genius. He started college when he was 19. Within three years, he had his PhD. Um, he achieved his doctorate in uh, mathematics. Uh, he studied mathematics and physics. And at the time, mathematics and physics um, was basically just about mechanics. It's about how mechanical things worked, and it didn't go all in any hardly anything else. Just how mechanical things worked. Okay. So uh, let's see. He was appointed a professor of mathematics at the University of Graz in the province of Styria. In 1869, he spent several months in Heidelberg working with Robert Bunsen and Leo Klickenberg. I can't even pronounce that name. And in 1871, with Gustav Kirchhoff and Hermann von Helmholtz in Germany. In 1873, Boltzmann joined the University of Vienna as a professor of mathematics. And there he stayed until 1876. So in 1872, way before women were allowed to be in universities, he met his wife, Henrietta von Eigenter. She was an inspiring teacher of mathematics and physics in Graz. Uh, 
Um, she refused permission to audit lecture. Wait, she refused permission to audit lectures unofficially. So he married her. They got married. They got married on July 17, 1876. So um, women weren't allowed to be, you know, mathematicians and they weren't allowed to go to college and stuff like that. But this chick was like, hey, you know what? I'm going to do it. You can't stop me. So, yep. You know what I'm saying? So, I'm trying to wait for um, Jay to jump on in here. So, what the reason he was a science denier, he's the science denier of the week. The reason he's the science denier of the week is because when he first came about, um, people didn't didn't have any idea about the statistical mathematic equations that had to do with heat and motion and time and things of that nature or entropy or any of that stuff. So yeah, there you go. What's up, Jay? What's up? So I've already started talking about Ludwig Boltzmann. So did you did What's you that? I already started talking about Ludwig Boltzmann. Ludwig Boltzmann. Did you did you read anything about this dude? I did not. Okay. So he was a statistical um he was a mathematician and a philosopher and a physicist uh, physicist and he worked with statistical mechanics and mathematics and he wrote a bunch of uh, a bunch of papers on the second law of thermodynamics and entropy. So so at the time um he was a science denier because at the time um a thermometer which this is how his entire career doing what he's doing started. He was looking at a thermometer and everybody at the time, they said the thermometer, what it's doing is it's reading the, um, it's telling the temperature based on the amount of volume of the liquid inside of it. And the volume of the liquid increases. And that's why you can read the temperature because the volume of increases in there. And he said, no, it's because the atoms that are in it, and people were like, what are atoms? And he's like, well, they're the really, really, really small molecule stuff. And the atoms in there, the more they move, the more they they knock against each other, which makes the liquid look like, looks like it's rising, but it's not. It's just being more active, so it looks like it's filling up more space in the in the container. And they were like, dude, you're you're crazy. You're an idiot. And he's like, no, dude, I can prove it. And he, he wrote out mathematical equations to prove what he was talking about. <laughs> any any comments on that? Well, no. Mathematics is not one of my big subjects. Well, what he did was um, he had a closed a closed container, and he said that the molecules within the closed container inside this closed container when you open the container to a second chamber, what's going to happen is all of these things are going to go from this side and they're going to do whatever they can to fill the other side. And another, another thing that he uh, postulated at the time was that um, time, um, time cannot be reversed. You can't reverse time and you can't reverse the effects or the what's going on with um with atoms like you could you have statistical probability that a specific thing is going to happen and you can 
you can write out an equation to know when things are going to happen. But there is a statistical probability that says that if, if let's say, for, for instance, you knock a, a coffee cup on off of the table onto the ground, the statistical probability of that cup falling back up onto the table and reconstituting itself the, is so astronomical, there's no way you can calculate that. Well, he went through the process of trying to calculate it and said that you can't because of entropy. You, there's no way that it'll ever do that. You know what I mean? The statistical probability is so great that it wouldn't do it within your lifetime. It wouldn't do it. The The universe would end before that would happen. Well, that's that last bit of comment I'm not sure about, but I would say that uh, statistically speaking, yes. Uh, that's once you start getting past one in seven billion. <laughs> well, and, that, and part, that means it's not going to happen to you in your lifetime. Yes. Well, in part of his equation, he looked at a billiard table, right? And he said, "Okay, so you you strike the um, the cue ball, and it hits the rest of the balls, setting them in motion, and they stop where they stop." You can you can statistically accurately predict that happening again if you hit the ball in the exact same spot, in the exact same velocity and everything, in the exact same conditions, you can make those balls that it hits land in the same spot. Yeah, but see, that's what we learned through the, um, how was that experiment with the slits? The particle something or other. Mm -hmm. Where they sent the particles through the slips, the slits in the thing. Yeah. And instead of them just going through the slits like that, they had like all these different ways that they almost like a shotgun blast behind it. Yeah, like it like it, it would it would move around because there was uh uh it was chaos. And well, it, it there were all kind yeah, there were all kinds of factors that you could not determine involved in it. And one of which is like I said last week, that thing with Einstein saying, you know, as soon as a human puts their mind to work on a an experiment, it automatically changes the experiment. Right, right, right. Just because a human is watching it. So this guy was saying that if you're observing temperature and pressure, um, that those microscopic parameters fluctuate around an average. So that way, you know, you, you can accurately predict certain things happening from the beginning. But if you were trying to go the opposite way, let's say you wanted to try to predict where all those balls going back to their original place and hitting yeah. the cue ball back to its original place, you would have to calculate all the balls and have them all calculated at a certain velocity and all of them being struck at the exact same moment with the, you know, with all those velocities calculated. And he said, statistically, it's, it's impossible to do that. But even further than that, when you get into the atomic level, atoms are so small that you cannot predict how atoms are going to interact with each other or you could or or, or with um with the environment they're in. You can predict how they're going to react to an extent, but you won't be able to re you won't be able to predict it, you know, further. So you can predict from the beginning 
till the end, but you can't predict from the end back to the beginning because there are too many variables from the be from going the opposite direction. You know what I'm saying? Going backwards. Well, what if prediction is simply a matter of intention? In other words, just because you predicted it, you are now going to affect that experiment in that direction. Well, yeah, that's the possible, I guess. Yeah, people could do that. You see where I'm going with that. I, I feel like um, one of the things that we've noticed is when we do experiments, all kinds of things can happen. Like there's never been an experiment to prove the motion of the earth. Right. And yet it's accepted as a fact, but it's not a provable fact. Uh, mathematics cannot calculate what they're telling us is true. Yeah. And the same thing for the uh, curvature of the earth. You know, I, I've, I, you probably have too. I've known some people that were snipers, and one of them was a ranger, no less. And he told me that the Coriolis effect is BS. That they do not take that into account when they're firing their weapons. Well, that is a trip, dude. We, you know, we're going to get into, uh, I think next week, the conjecture fact is going to be snipers. It's going to be what? Snipers. Sniping. Oh, <laughs> sniping. Sniping. Sniper, no sniping. Because <laughs> uh, uh, I... I, I Watched a video today. Uh, I'm not going to go into it. We'll go into it next week. You're gonna okay. you're gonna love it. Okay. So most chemists um, at the time, since the discovery of John Dalton, or John John Dalton made some discoveries in 1808, um, and uh, Boltzmann believed in atoms and molecules, but most of the physics establishment didn't even believe in molecules and atoms. They didn't believe that they were something that actually was going on. So everything that he was saying about um, molecules and atoms, people were like, you're insane. He's like, no, they're there. And he wrote out like all these equations and stuff. Um, and then he got into learning about entropy. And the guy that, the guy that came up with the word entropy, he was trying to make, uh, the word energy, but but opposite or something that was different. So he came up with the word entropy. Gotcha. So Boltzmann took the entropy um, equations and he made an equation based on that. And he made a thing. He came up with a thing called the Boltzmann constant. So, really? yeah. Okay. So, it, which basically it described the thermodynamic state of a system that can be realized by assigning different positions and momenta to the various mo molecules within that system. So, if you assign a position and momentum where it's go, where you know where it starts and what momentum it has where it's going to, then once you've assigned those, then you can predict where those particles are going to go and what they're going to do yeah with with very little accuracy i imagine i don't know <laughs> the boltzmann equation was developed to describe the dynamics of an ideal gas right huh i'm keeping up you yeah keep going yeah yeah so um 
The equation describes the temporal and spatial variations of the probability distribution for the position and momentum of a density distribution of a cloud of points in a single particular phase space. <sighs> you catch any of that? No. Can you read it again? <laughs> uh, over my head. I took statistics in college, but it uh, took me the whole semester to figure it out. In, in his principle, it completely describes the dynamics of an ensemble of gas particles given an appropriate or given appropriate boundary conditions. The first order differential equation has a deceptively simple appearance. Hmm. Yeah. Also, the, the force acting upon the particle depends directly on the velocity distribution function of F within the um, within the uh, equation. Boltzmann's equation is notoriously difficult to inter integrate. David Halbert spent years trying to solve it without any real success. So this Boltzmann guy created this, this equation, and other people for decades couldn't figure it out. Couldn't figure it out. And he was like, way ahead of his time, dude. Um, and then... Boltzmann proved the second law of thermodynamics using his equation and, and a thing called the H theorem. Hmm. H or age. H, H, the, like the H bomb. Um, he also made a formulation called the molecular chaos, an assumption which breaks time reversal symmetry as it is necessary for necessary for anything which could imply the second law. So the second law of thermodynamics says that everything um everything deteriorates over time. Right. So every, every system it deteriorates over time. So Right, that makes sense. So and and his equation basically proves that that was actually true. Crazy, huh? Well, it's pretty crazy. It's the law law of disorder, they call it. The law of disorder. That any system will infinitely uh, break down eventually. Right. And then you have stuff like, you know, uranium that takes a long time to break down because of the percentages are so low. If you're breaking down something at 0.4%, per decade or whatever it is, you know, statistically speaking, that's, this will take forever. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, what's really sad about this dude is, um, near the end of his life. Um, so he went insane and he went yeah. into an insane asylum and while he, he was, was right, nobody would listen to him. I know that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. So he went into this insane asylum and, um, nobody was listening to him and he, and he, he, he he went from being like a really outgoing, friendly person to being like really depressed and super, super sad. Right? Everybody made him believe he was crazy. Right. That'll wear on you, man. So his wife was like, you know what you need? You need to get out of this insane asylum and go on a vacation. <laughs> to the Galapagos Islands? Oh, sorry. So, no, so Darwin, my bad. So he's like, Yeah, let's go on a vacation. <laughs> So she checked him out of the insane asylum and took him to um, this this resort for intellectuals and rich people, right? Oh, Interesting. Okay. So they check into the hotel, which has like 
his room has like a piano in it and stuff. And it's like really, really like, it's basically like a, like an apartment. Right. And, uh, his daughter and his wife go to take a bath. They're bathing. They're taking a bath. Um, and while they're in the bath, he, uh, takes a, 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 a rope and he, you know, takes his own life. Uh-uh. Yeah. While on vacation. Oh, so see that's weird to me. What? Why would a genius do that? Well, ever? he he wrote he wrote in his thing. Um he said uh I'm going to find the quote cuz it's uh it is a an a, a strange quote. Um uh, I can't find the quote. Government did it. Oh, not that quote. No, he oh. wrote he wrote in a thing. He said he said I would have never I'm paraphrasing. I would have never conceived of such an end as this. You know what I mean? Say that again? I would never conceive of a such uh, of such an end as this. Ah. Something of so that he, nature. So so he he pulled the Jeffrey Epstein. He didn't he didn't knock himself. Well, what he, happened? He he was saying that um, when he when he went to go kill himself, he um, he uh, he was basically he wrote like that was his suicide note to say that he would have never considered he would have never in the past thought of what he was doing. He would have never right. came up with that. He spent a great right. deal of effort in his final years defending his theory. He didn't get along with a lot of his colleagues, um, and they, his colleagues saw saw energy and not matter as the chief component of the universe. But Boltzmann's position carried um, uh, carried the day among other physicists supporting atomic theories in the debate, but nobody believed what he was saying, or hardly anybody believed what he was seeing, saying until three years after his death. Huh. Isn't that crazy? Interesting. I will say this, though. You know, there's still a line of thought that runs along that energy stuff, man. And with the with Tesla being on board with the energy and the ether being what makes up most of space. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm a little torn right now. Well, they were um, some some doctors afterwards you know later on when psychotherapy and and psychology and everything was was invented um they they went through his papers and his his writings and his his diary and things and they they diagnosed him with bipolar disorder so today he would be considered or today it would have been considered bipolar disorder right so was he born a gemini or <laughs> um well it highly intelligent crazy he was born February twentieth, eighteen forty-four, and he died. Oh, hey, yeah. He died September fifth, nineteen oh six. Guess who found him? Who's that? His daughter. Yeah. His daughter found see, him. See, that's what I mean. How could a highly intelligent person like that not see the ripple effect of what he's doing? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It just seems like you got this person supposedly really intelligent. And like smarter than everyone else, and then he gets upset or whatever at his life, and then he's just like, "Oh, 
Well, let's not worry about the intelligence that I have or the family that I have. I'm just going to check out. Yeah. It just seems odd to me. Very odd. Yeah. Well, some people, some people just can't handle it, man. I don't get it. I don't get it either. I don't get it either. But um, on his tombstone, his tombstone bears the inscription of the Boltzmann entropy formula. Hmm. That's weird. Trippy, huh? So, it's a little weird, yeah. So weird. I oh my gosh! You know what I didn't do the whole time? What's that? I didn't have the science denier of the week on the bottom of the thing there. <laughs> so people didn't know I was talking about the science denier of the week. Oops. Whatever. All right. So that was the science denier of the week. Okay. So we're gonna do um, a good one. Conjecture of fact. Today's conjecture right. fact is the 432 hertz versus the 440 hertz conspiracy theory. My have, man. Have you heard of this? Finally. What do you mean? I'm the one who told you about this, Brett. Did you? Yes, I don't know. sir. I don't know, man. Bob I, Marley. I think that's why they took Bob out. Well, because I studied this refused uh, to convert. I, a while ago, and then I ran across it again, and I'm like, you know. So, whatever. Well, I'm happy, man. Look, it, Look, you probably came across it on your own. I'm just saying, if you had been listening to me, you would have known that I know about this one. Well, <laughs> I, I'm 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 gonna be I'm gonna play the 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 part of the guy who thinks it's bullshit. <laughs> All right. And that everybody that believes this shit is stupid. Okay. Okay, you're just gonna play that part. Hey, I'm gonna play, play that, that part. part. I'll play that part. So if you Google 432 hertz, you'll find a lot of stuff. There are a lot of articles, YouTube videos. There's a lot a lot of information about 432. Not only is there a whole bunch of information about 432, but like people, people went so far as to go, well, there's 432 dimples on a golf ball and there's 432. And if you do the math on 432, 4 plus 3 is 7 plus 2 is 9. Oh, it's one of the universal numbers. Nine, three, six, and nine. Yeah, or the there are nine um, levels on the Solfeggio scale, which is where you will find 432, not 440. So your nine perfect tones, Yeah. 432 is on there. 440 is not. Okay, you'll also see on the, on the internet that there's this Nazi minister of propaganda, Joseph Goebbels, came up with this 432 hertz thing is what they're saying because it's a because it's a uh um it's a it's a holy universal mind opening uh thing and it consists of uh prime numbers four prime numbers 103 107 109 and 113 which added up um equals 432 432 there you go well, I'll say this. I um I don't know why he's getting an getting attributed with the the tone because the tone is part of a a scale that was discovered. I'm trying to remember when Solfeggio came up with the scale, but it was supposedly perfect tones with no distortion or vibration and that 440 is actually a slightly distorted tone, but you cannot discern that with with your conscious mind well did, did when did it happen do you know 
I don't. And I remember that they supposedly voted on it like in World War II, maybe. Yeah, well, we'll go through the history of that stuff. We'll go to the history of that stuff here in a little bit. Okay. <laughs> but uh, we're going we're gonna to check this out and why, why it's my, my opinion is it's bullshit. You ready for this? Okay, so since the beginning of time, people have made music in one way or another. They hear it in nature, they duplicate it, they, they try to make music either with their mouth, their face, their whatever instruments that they come across. They notice the wind blowing through, you know, through a piece of wood and they're like, oh, I can make sound come out of this or whatever. So people were trying to make music all the time, right? And then, sure. and then over time, people got together and they were like, I know how to make music with this thing. Okay, I know how to make music with this thing. Okay, let's go together and make music together. Okay, let's make music together. Um, but back in the day, in the Middle Ages, um, the, all, all the different instruments were all tuned completely differently. Completely differently. Okay. And the whole thought of this whole 432 is that 432 hertz is 432 vibrations per second, right? Right, right, per second, yes. So in the Middle Ages, the hour was divided into two, three, four, or 12, 12 equal parts. But it was never, in the, in the up till the Middle Ages, like after the Middle Ages or whatever, during that time, it was never divided into 60. So the, the minutes that they were using or the seconds that they were using, there's no way that they could have had 432 hertz because they didn't understand the concept of a second back then. You know what I'm saying? The practice of, of dividing a, 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 a day into hours and then those hours into smaller segments started in the 16th century. Okay. But all the different clocks all ticked slightly different at different rates. So there was no standard measurement of what an actual day was. So you could have a clock at your house and you could say it's three o'clock and I'd be like, okay, it's three o'clock. But in your town, there might be hundreds of clocks. And in that town, all of the clocks would be different. Oh, similar issue. I get you. So uh, it didn't, it, Till the 18th century, clocks didn't work right until around the 18th century. And then uh, when the 18th century came about, they started refining how clocks worked. You know what I mean? I get you. And people define units of time as a fraction of the mean solar day, which is an average of time over one year the one year that the earth needs to rotate on it, around its axis relative to the sun. So the first clocks. Right. But then, but then you get into that thing where you're implying a constancy or a consistency in that number. And I, right. there's no way that's the case. Right. Uh, so the first okay. clocks that were sort of accurate or the most accurate at the time didn't come out until, um, until the, uh, the 16th or the 18th century. Okay. So in the 1940s, in the 1940s, the speed of the rotation of the Earth was not a constant due to the variation of tidal effects. 
So they redefined the duration of 9,192,631,770 periods of the uh, radiation corresponding to the transition between the two hyperfine levels of the ground state of the cesium-133 atom. So the one, uh, the the 432 hertz tuning, divining the tuning of nature itself, like people saying that this is very spiritual because it's the 432 hertz per second. Right, but that's a different argument. Well, right, I guess that's a different argument than what we're having. Well, I don't know, but uh, why do people use 440? Or for uh, why why do people use 440 instead of 432? They voted on that. They voted on that. So yes. So someone decided that 440 was better than 432, and they went while we were at war. If I remember correctly, the entire world decided, hey, you know that solfeggio scale with the perfect tones? That guy was an idiot. Well, let's, let's go ahead and raise that vibration just a little bit, and we'll make that the mandatory music. Well, let's go through time, the, the time period, mm -hmm. to find out Thanks. when people started using 440. You ready? So well, in when, when it officially, because also what I was going to tell you, I'm glad you brought that up. Well, also what I was going to tell you, you, you've tuned guitars, right? Yeah. So and, there's a spot where you have it tuned. And then there's a spot where it's just out of tune. Right. And I think that's the argument we're really having right now. Well, and there's, is, and there's a difference between how you... It's 440, an intentional distortion of music. Well, and, the, and then you have the... Like, I tune my guitar by ear. Right. And because I tune my guitar by ear, it always sounds the same, but it doesn't sound the same as somebody else's. But let's, let's get into the history. Here we go. In in uh at the time like Bach Beethoven you know dudes like that in Bach's era there's no standard way to tune an instrument the same wow. the same uh piece of music could sound higher or lower depending on where and when it was performed because right. what they would do is they would have um an instrument normally it would be an organ at a church or whatever um but it, whoever had the prominent instrument everyone else tuned to that instrument. Right. That makes sense. So if, if, um, if a group of musicians went from one place to another, they all had to tune all their stuff to the dominant thing. So pitches and musical instrument instrument, they produced, mm -hmm. uh, they produce change over time due to heat and mechanical wear and wear and tear. Right. Uh, so, Everybody's instrument would be different depending on the temperature. Yeah, having a good time. You know, Melissa told me what I should do is have you be on video, and then I mute, Melissa, and then I should mute you. And when you're talking to somebody, I should try to try to figure out what you're saying and interpret it. <laughs> good luck with that. So, um, different instruments at a different temperature, with a different humidity with different age of the of the strings or whatever would sound different right yes so uh and that's still the case i mean we understand that right yeah so in, I mean, that's still the case. in 1711 a tuning fork was invented so that way people could use a tuning fork 
and they could have a constant yeah. um, tone. The problem yeah. with that is the tuning forks resonated at different frequencies depending on what they were made of, what yeah. kind of metal, how big. How, <laughs> how big they were, how small they were, different, you know, how they were shaped, whatever. So there was no standard of tuning forks either. You would buy a tuning fork specifically to tune to your music that you're playing at the time, but somebody else's tuning fork would be completely different than yours. So in the 19th century, the era of pitch inflation started. So that was where they figured out the relationship between the thickness of a string and its tension, right? Because up, right. up until the 19th century, they used the same size string and they would just make it different depending on how tight it was or how loose it was. And that's what made the sound. But in, in the 19th century, they changed to being able to make thick strings and tension in them with tuning pegs and stuff. So that's when they actually started making those. Um, cool. <laughs> So then uh, around that time is when musical instruments started sounding better because they can tune it a, a lot more more detailed. They can get actual tuning of what they were playing so they could get an actual thing, except for the piano. Um, the piano always had like thick and thin strings. You know what I mean? But there were other people who were like, you know, other instruments that didn't didn't happen like that. It's funny you say that because I was going to mention that earlier. Well, you, I don't want to break up your flow, but also I was going to mention, you know, maybe that's why they had the piano as the mainstay or the organ, like you were saying. That's what made me think of it. Yeah. Because that one seemed to be something that was always, it depended on how well it was made. It didn't necessarily depend on who made it. Well, and it, it would keep its tune a lot longer, it tuning a lot longer. Also, right. also, it wasn't moved around much. Normally, an organ was put into a, a church and it was left there and you didn't move it. Right. That's a good point. And, uh, and there were a lot of times when pipe organs, instead of string organs, pipe organs were, uh, they didn't lose their tune hardly at all because it was just air blowing through a pipe. Right. right. So they didn't lose their tune at all. So orchestras started competing with each other for a better sound. And they started tuning their instruments higher and higher and higher, um, which led to some problems with singers because singers would perform at different with different orchestras and they wouldn't be able to sing the music. Even though they're familiar with the music, they wouldn't be able to sing that music because it may be higher or lower than what they were they were right. used to. So at the urging of the French government, they started tuning the A string uh at 435 hertz in uh 1859 okay so wow that's a weird year bro you know what else happened that year right no what happened that year all the telegraph machines and whatnot supposedly went out due to a solar flare yeah solar flare so, yeah that's a little strange, I think. Yeah. It's a weird year for that to happen. Anyway. So all of the opera houses in Europe adopted that standard, the standard of the 435 hertz. Okay. But in okay. but in Britain, the French standard was interpreted as uh as negative. So British orchestras were like, nah, we're not gonna do what you French people say, because you you people don't know what you're doing. Okay. 
So this is true. So French they are very bad at music. So the British they tuned everything <laughs> to four hundred thirty nine hertz. Okay. Which okay. fast forward. There was an international conference in 1939 held in London that resulted in the recommendation to use 440 hertz as the the standard um, because it was a compromise between the different, you know, 439, 450, whatever. So they were able to to do it at 440. Um and some of them, some people would use 439 because it was a prime number. And they're like, we want to use a prime number. So, but the standard became 440 hertz. And eventually in 1955, the standard of the A at 440 hertz was adopted internationally by the International Organization for Standardization. <laughs> so all instruments and all tuning. Took almost 20 years. Yeah, after they suggested it for them to decide to do it. Right. See, see, man, something's up. Dude. But but There's something missing from that whole story. But go ahead. But a lot of symphonies and orchestras still ignore that. They'll tune to 441, 442, 443. Uh, they'll do 415 or 470. Okay. So so let me see if I get this straight. You're telling me from your research that 432 was never a thing, really. Well. The 432 now is being more of a thing because people are like, 432, if you listen to it, it's it's tuning it to a to a better number. You know what I mean? To a to a to a, to a more holy number. Apparently 440. If if you tune to 440, it's sort of a uh, a sad feeling. You get a sad feeling. But if you tune up to 430 or if you tune to 432, you get a happier feeling. It's a warmer, happier feeling. Which is why Bob Marley used it all bit. Dude, I watched this video from this one dude, and he was like, all these all these um numerology people, and dude, he was like, these people are stupid, and he was calling them all kinds of names and stuff, and I'm like, I love this guy. Because he's calling people stupid. Getting away with it? Uh, I don't. I, yeah, exactly. Melissa wants to know why Joe's not on today. She she's wondering if he has pink eye again. Oh, that's messed up. <laughs> his wife keeps farting on his pillow. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you remember his joke about uh, kidding M Emily? M and M's, right? I thought it was Skittles. Taste the rainbow. Yeah, but you you start off with M and M's because you don't know if it's chocolate or poop. <laughs> how you folks doing? Hi, how you, you doing? Folks? Yeah, you need anything? All right. Yeah. Well, you have a good <laughs> night. Enjoy your stay. <laughs> there. At night, we do a like a little dessert for the people when they're coming back from the shows and whatnot. So oh. I have to go in and make sure that they know where everything is. And, so basically, you know, like, the 432 conspiracy is that, um, first of all, that it was um, Joseph Goebbels was the one that pushed that number and which is not true no not true we or, found that out um also that 432 is is a celestial number um and it is like the frequency of the universe cannot be well, true because the concept of time like 
when they had these Buddhist statues that they that they put out at at a specific um, configuration, right? They had no concept of minutes and seconds. So this four hundred thirty-two hertz was didn't mean well, anything to them. We say that, but we don't know if they had a concept of minutes and seconds because well, it would be you know, different. The, the oh, it'd be different. It wouldn't be the exact you know 60 seconds you know what i mean a second wouldn't be 60 60 parts and a minute right, wouldn't my, be 60 my parts point, my point was more of uh the music and and itself would work in time not necessarily under a 60 second thing but if you're looking for a tone that sounds right you wouldn't have to base it on 60 seconds it would just be a different number that they were working with, you know? Right, but they're, they're saying that 432 hertz is the holy number because it's 432 hertz and they can find it in literature back from thousands of years ago. Yeah, well, but you can't I, yeah find, and you, I think we proved that's not necessarily the case. Yeah, you can't find, you can't, that, that this guy was like, yeah, <laughs> this guy was like, you know, if you take anything and you make up some arbitrary number and you divide it and multiply it by some arbitrary number, like he was like the moon, they take the moon and they're like the circumference of the moon and you divide it by whatever number and then the sun and you and, divide it by whatever number and it becomes 432. And the same size in the sky. Yeah. He, he goes, he goes, look, I can do the same thing. I can go. Yeah, if I take a Coke bottle and I put it against my dick and I measure my dick in the Coke bottle, you know, and I divide that by whatever, then that's 432. Because okay, but see, but then that's – to me, that is someone who is scoffing for the sake of scoffing because they're not taking into account something that was established that had nothing to do with the 440 versus 432. Right, but the, but there, the solfeggio scale is based on the pure tone, the actual tone with no distortion, and that is not reliance upon prime numbers. That is only reliance upon the nine levels, and I, I one of them's three fifty seven, I think, or some crazy is, stuff like is that. Three six so, nine in there because that's my favorite number. May, Maybe it's three sixty nine, but my point is that's that's uh, the universal number actually. From that's the, what that's what Tesla says. Self, sorry, man. The solfeggio scale is what they base binaural beats on. This is what they base the biofeedback on. Those tones are actually used scientifically to help cure ailments in the human brain. So I would say to you, to say that it doesn't matter is an oversight at best, but also it people are not taking into account something that has actually been established, which is the solfeggio scale. Now, if you're telling me you don't believe that there are pure tones, then that's a different argument. However, if you're going to believe that solfeggio was correct, I can't remember the guy's freaking name. No, I'm just, I'm just focusing on the numbers. Right, and so my point is the numbers are important if there is an actual pure vibration there. So if there's a point where the tuning is right, and I would say to you as a musician, you know that there's a point where the tuning is right and a point where it's not. And I think they established 440 because they knew it was not. That's my point. Okay. 
So they intentionally wanted the music to come out distorted. Otherwise, why would you even bother with that while you're in the full swing of a world war? Yeah, I get it. But but what I'm getting at is that the numbers, um, the people are saying these numbers have been around for thousands of years, but they're not. Yes. There's no way. Yes. And and they're, the concept of seconds and minutes, you you can't you you can't take these numbers over the course like 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 when people go through like the Torah and they take out the numbers and the and the minutes and the days and stuff like that and the calendar and junk like that and they try to apply it to today. And I'm sitting back going, you do realize that their concept of calendar is completely different than our concept of a calendar. Yep. Even our That's concept of a calendar is only, you know, a few hundred years old, maybe a maybe a thousand years old, something like that. And said to not be nearly as accurate as some of the calendars that were used in the past. So yeah. yeah. So I'm like, oh, it's just like the 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 Mayan calendar. Yes. Equating the Mayan calendar with our calendar is stupid. Because the Mayan well, calendar it, was thousands of years ago. It's yeah, completely and the way different. they did it, it would almost it, you would have to know when the calendar, what day the calendar started, to be able to do that. That would be the only way. Exactly. Exactly. And even then, well, and, and people are like, bro. you know, Jesus wasn't born on Christmas, and I'm like, that's not the point. The point is that they were celebrating the birth of Jesus on a specific day. And then I was yeah, talking but, with, uh, I was talking with a Seven Day Adventist. And yeah. the seven day Adventist is like, well, the Sabbath is a Saturday and they're going off on this whole thing. And I'm like, yeah, but we, we, we gave Saturday a meaning with the Gregorian calendar. But before that Saturday didn't have a meaning. And what we think of Saturday as to now is not the same as Saturday in the Jewish calendar. Even the Jewish calendar had iterations that are multiple iterations. So you have no well, idea what Saturday yeah. is. They have like a running count of the years. And then I was going to tell you, that's how I feel about the Sabbath. The Sabbath was established by the Jewish people. And it was established for God. So if you change that from Saturday to Sunday, then you're going against the commandments because it says to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. So once it's established, it cannot be moved. Yeah, but my, my whole thing on that is it, whether it's Saturday or Sunday, either either one or both wrong. Because the calendar that they were using when it was first established, the Sabbath was first established, is completely different than what we have today. They even had some calendars, Jewish calendars back in the day, that only had six days or nine days or whatever. So which of those calendars are they using? Right. But then I would say to you then, isn't that really the point that the, the enemy has uh, obfuscated things so badly that you can't even discern when the Sabbath is to observe it properly. Well, and I, I would also say that if it wasn't important what day you celebrated it on, why would it say to establish that day and then keep it holy? Well, here's my opinion on that and my thought process based on biblical studies. You ready for this? Yeah. Ebenezer stones were stones that uh, Jewish people would put at places for remembrance. They were called stones of remembrance, Ebenezer stones. So that's you would, why we called Scrooge Ebenezer Scrooge. So you put <laughs> you put these stones of remembrance somewhere in order to remember what's going on there. Um, okay. But if somebody else called that stone of remembrance something else, it still has value. It still has it. It's it's still important, right? 
even if I took that, if I saw that Ebenezer stone sitting there and I decided to call it the, the stone of Bethlehem, right? It would still have a meaning, right? Um, regardless of what day of the week it's on, if it has meaning to you, you know what I'm saying? Observing, right. observing the Sabbath, saying, but the, but observing the Sabbath is a specific, bro. Well, I know, but observing the observing the Sabbath is a is a um, you acknowledging God by establishing a day of rest in your life, like the Jews were establishing a day of rest in their life, right? But, yes. So that's it's the same thing when we establish a day of rest in our life. That's how we observe the Sabbath, and it doesn't matter what day of the week is on. I, because we don't I, know what day of the week the Sabbath actually was on back in the day. So all we can do is pick a day and go, this is the day that I'm going to observe the Sabbath. Okay, well, I hear what you were saying, but I don't I have yet to see any evidence in the Bible that alludes to any day you want to celebrate is fine. Uh, simply because, like I said, in the Bible, it clearly says to establish the Sabbath. Right. But then, what I'm saying is— Then keep it holy. In other words— What day is the Sabbath? Establish the day. Yeah, what day is then that? Then keep it holy. Well, once, once again, my thoughts are you have to go by God's people who established the Sabbath. Now, I understand and believe what you're saying about the the— distortion of the calendar and not being able to keep it right. But I also want to say that the Jewish people have been keeping time a lot longer than the calendars that we use. So it seems to me that if this Jewish Sabbath was established, they are keeping it holy. Yeah, but I'm saying that, that the, the, the Jewish people are calling the Sabbath Saturday. Right. Friday night into Saturday, because that's the seventh day of the week for them. Right. And what right. I'm saying, what I'm saying is it's based on the Gregorian calendar. But prior to that, calendars that the Jewish people used may have had nine days or six days, depending on what tribe was keeping the keeping the calendar at the time. So you don't know if Saturday is the actual day and you don't know if they're skipping days. So. You, you'll be right. observing the Sabbath um, maybe correctly out of a year. You might be observing the Sabbath maybe 30 times out of the year correctly out of the well, 56. If, that, if that's the case, then how do they celebrate Yom Kippur and um, what's the other one? The, they have the Feast of the Tabernacles. They yeah, have all these yeah. different so, feasts. So those ones that are established, if if that's the case, the then that of would Pentecost, mean that all of their celebrations are either all of them are distorted or because they are God's people, if you believe that. Yeah. And then once they've established that, then that is the the law of man. What, what they're doing is sense. yeah. What they're doing is they're saying we want you. Or the, the Bible says to observe these feasts at these yeah. times. So what they're doing is they're observing those feasts at the time that that is current, the current time. So that's how they observe it is using the current current calendar or the current time. Right. 
So, so really, our our they're still observing it. So they're more hard. on semantics right, of right. whether or not you need to follow what the Jewish people have established, because that's probably not the same. Right. Well, or and, whether or not it is your right to go ahead and say, you know what, Monday's my Sabbath. I'm just going to take that day off. I ain't going to use nothing, be nothing, do nothing. Well, actually, I know um, pastors within the church. Monday mm -hmm. is their Sabbath because they work on Sunday mm -hmm. at the church. That's that's their job is to preach on Sunday. So Monday is their day off. That's their Sabbath day is the Monday. Right. So the 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 the, the point I'm making is that it's more of a uh, in your heart. You're separating this time frame. You know what I mean? So it, be, it becomes well, it becomes in your heart, and when you come when you get into um, spiritual things, it, it's really whatever you know, whatever whatever you think is is correct based on your belief system. I, I miss, yeah, I missed that verse in the Bible. Where is that? Let me, let me look that up. What? <laughs> Where it's like, ah, you know, just do whatever you want. It's cool. No, it's like, <laughs> like, um, hide my words in your heart. You know, where where there's scripture that says, take these words and hide them in your heart, or or um, and engrave them on your heart. Right? What language? What language do we engrave those in our in our heart? If we speak English and we uh, engrave the words of God in our heart in English, in the language that we actually speak. Is that sin? Is that wrong? Because we're not doing it in the original language from the time it was. Right. Like everybody ends the prayer with amen. And I'm like, why would you do that? Well, it means, it means so be it. No, it means truly and verily. Dude, we did and a Bible study it... on Selah. You ever heard of Selah? Yeah. yeah. Selah was the original in the Psalms, but, um, but then my other question is, okay, so why would you do an entire prayer in English, not to mention the name Jesus, which is a, a Latinized version of his actual name, which was Isu? Yeah. Um, why would you do your whole prayer in English, and then when you get to the end, use some obscure Hebrew word that doesn't even mean what you're using it for? Yeah, just like there are some people that, that use Yahweh. They refer yes. to God as Yahweh. Yeah, and that's the tetragrammaton really is what we're talking about, which See, that is four goes, letters. That goes back to my point. When when uh, when the, when we observe the Sabbath, we observe the Sabbath within the constraints of the time frame we're in. And as long right. as we're doing it with the right heart, we're doing it correctly. And when the when the Bible talks about take my words and and engrave them in your heart, um, if we do it within the language that we know then it's still valid. You know what I'm saying? Oh, gotcha. Some people take that and then they try to tattoo something on their heart. So I yeah, actually, that might be misguided. Actually tattoo things on your heart. Melissa got a new tattoo, by the way. Did she? Yeah, the Grim Reaper. <laughs> With the hourglass running out. Interesting. Because everybody's running out of time. You know what I'm saying? Speaking of running out of time, look at that. You know, Joe's Joe's not going to be on the show tonight. Did you know that? I guess not. So Joe's not going to be on the show tonight. That means that uh, if you want to be on the show for a little bit longer, you can. 
or if you got to go, you got to go. Yes, I am, will have to get back to work. Yeah. Well, you as get back. As I would love to talk to you. Yeah. Well, that was James R. Freeman. My buddy, my friend, hanging out with me. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll say this too: not are, not only are we friends, man, but there's something about the way we interact. We both gather knowledge, but when we get to the end, we don't have the same outlook. And I enjoy that because that kind of proves a theory I've had most of my life, which is that you can give some two people the exact same experiences over a lifetime, and when you get to the end, they will not be the same person. Yeah. So I kind of like that. And then I think for you and I, it started off with that that first discussion we had where you were talking about um, homosexuality and transgenderism and how that was going to be like a staple. <laughs> how it was going to be like it is today. Like yeah. I, I'm, I'm a, what do you call it? Uh, I'm a prophet, man. A prognosticator. I'm a prophet. I knew what was Wait. happening. But the thing that was the funniest to me was I had that conversation with the the biggest drag queen in Key West, who was some kind of professional that had actually retired and was living in Key West. And that thing sat down with me and told me the whole plan. And I had no idea that I was talking to someone who knew what was plan, up. Yeah. Let alone believing that there was one. But every day that goes by now, I think about that conversation at least once or twice. And I think, you know, that thing was telling me the plan. And it was so weird. That thing got so mad at me that I think that's why I did it. Because we were having a little argument and I was telling them that uh, homosexuality is not a base instinct in human beings. You're going to get us banned. <laughs> you, you know what I mean, right? Yeah. So. Right. Well, it's my own thoughts. You I know, know but YouTube, can't prove either way. I'm but, saying, though, yeah. but YouTube is like, you can't have your own thoughts because if you say something that doesn't fit the narrative that we want you to have, we're going to ban you. And I'm sitting back going, whatever, man. Did you see the new Steven Crowder? No. He uh, he infiltrates a fat studies conference. And then <laughs> at the end of the thing, they, they list him as a reliable source. <laughs> you gotta go watch it dude it's hilarious i wish i could get to his his channel a little more often i i sent you something today did you look at it i did i did what did you think yeah jellyfish hydra whatever you know I, did, you, I, did you watch the next one after that no but but my whole thought process is there's a lot of people that have some parasites in them all the time well he caught that lady doing something I'm so saying, she sent that, right? And I'm if, like, oh, that's weird. If she's ever, I, if she's ever ate um, caviar, that would make sense. You know. Well, and and that was the fun part. See, that's why I like Casey's channel because Casey went and did research based on what they gave him, and the whole time he was saying, "I cannot vouch for what she's given me, but this is what the research shows." Well, when you watch the next video, he caught something. Actually, I think it was a view. One of the viewers caught something that she had done, and I guess they did some of that stuff for a living. Worked in a laboratory, right? And there was something that she had done, like superimpose something on it, and they caught that. So then the next video. So if you go on to Enter the Stars and watch the next video, he talks about it, 
And that's one of the reasons I like that show because he will say, look, this is what the research shows. This is what I'm finding, but I am merely passing on the information. I'm merely explaining to you what I see, but he never vouches for stuff like that. And I like that, man. Well, it's that, almost like that's one of his, his longtime viewers slash listeners trying to dupe him. Well, it's almost like this conjecture fact thing that we do. Um, right. Sometimes we don't pick a side and sometimes we do pick a side where we're <laughs> okay. You play the bad cop. I'll play the good cop, whatever. You know what I mean? And we get to right. pick a side and we get to argue whatever, whatever the, the case is. You know what I'm saying? Right. Devil's advocate. Type Devil's thing. advocate. Or, or most of the time it's uh, uh, this is what this website says about this theory. And here's another website that contradicts it. So you, you make up your mind which one you want to believe. Whatever. All right. That was good, man. That was good. I'm going to have to get you off the phone because I got to get to the next stuff, man. Appreciate you, man. I miss you. Ah, and man. Uh, you know what? I may, be up, I may be up there on the weekends over the summer. So I'm going well, to come see you. Everybody wants you to be on the show live with me again. Really? Yeah. Everyone. Well, everyone who thinks that, thank you very much. It makes me oh. feel very special. All 15 of our subscribers. <laughs> Dude, that's 15 more people didn't like me last week, so. <laughs> I'm just saying it's our interaction, the interaction between us. Yeah, I it's... totally. And, um, yeah, man, if I can if I can make it up that way on a Monday, I will definitely try to do that. But yeah. it's hard to do with my job. Yeah, yeah. Well, in April, in April, there may be a couple episodes we're going to have to skip because because I got my birthday and anniversary and stuff coming up. Yeah. You know, know what I mean? Well, um, I just had a friend of mine fix my laptop, so I'll be able to start using that when we do these. Oh, to so do the video part? Yeah. Well, so I, wish I, I wish I could figure around. it out. <laughs> I wish I could figure that part out. <laughs> <laughs> Well, my end will be good. Then you just got to catch up. I've been using phone systems for like <laughs> forever, so <laughs> I know how to use a phone. But <laughs> the, the video shit, I can't get it. I don't get it. Whatever, man. All right, man. Not I'm gonna good. I'm gonna kick you off. All right, bro. All right, I'm back. Late. All right, that was James R. Freeman. Yeah, that was James R. Freeman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so we're going to do the Outpost Survival Tip of the Week. The Outpost Survival Tip of the Week. Uh, today we're going to do uh, 10 things to avoid. 10 things to avoid. It's 10 things to avoid doing or also or could be 10 things to avoid having. Okay, so here we go. Number 10. Number 10. Uh, avoid believing the temperature on a sleeping bag. The sleeping bag will have a temperature rating on it. Uh, the temperature rating mm, sometimes is wrong. Sometimes it's the temperature listed on there is the extreme survival temperature, not the comfort temperature. So when you're using a sleeping bag, make sure that you understand the temperature reading on it. Go to their website, try to figure it out. Uh, but I would never believe the temperature listed on a sleeping bag. Number nine, pre-packed survival kits. Okay. Pre-packed survival kits. Try to avoid 
pre-packed survival kits. And the reason that is, is because the, the items in a pre-packed survival kit most of the time are crappy. Uh, they're, they're cheaply made. They don't work well. Also, they're, they're, they're equipment that you're not really familiar with. You know what I mean? So you may get something in a pre-packed survival kit that you have no idea how to use it. Okay. Number eight. Avoid fake ferro rods, pherisium rods. Avoid fake pherisium rods. A pherisium rod is like something about that. Like they have little ones like this and they have larger ones that are bigger around than this. And you strike them with a steel and they make sparks. Fake pherisium rods, um, they're, they have a little tiny strip of pherisium on the side and the rest of it is cheap magnesium that doesn't work very well. And you're supposed to scrape the magnesium off and then strike it with the with the ferro. I mean, uh, yeah, you scrape the magnesium off and then strike it with the uh, steel to make the pherisium spark. The problem with those is that the magnesium doesn't work very well. The for the ferro part, the pherisium part of it, it doesn't last very long, and it breaks easily. It's not very good. So avoid fake pherisium rods try to get a good one uh if you're going to order one online make sure they have a return policy that's that you can return it and get your money back or whatever because if you get it and it turns out not to be an actual pherisium rod you need to you need to send that crap back number seven avoid leaving uh Avoid leaving your filter for your water in the cold or in the heat. Okay? No, 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 no. No, I messed it up. Number seven is avoid leaving food and water in the cold or heat. So in your survival kit or in your backpack or whatever, you'll have water and food in there. Well, if you leave it in your car and there's, let's say, a heat wave, well, that food and water is going to get hot and the water is going to taste weird. It might even spoil. Um, the food will get hot, and it's possible that the food will spoil. If it gets cold, the, the water will freeze, and the container could, could break. The food could freeze and then no longer be good. Um, so avoid keeping food and water anywhere where there's going to be hot or cold um, in, your, in your bug out bag. Even when you're out, let's say you're out camping, and you have food and water. Keep your food and water near you, near your body, in your sleeping bag if you can, um, because at night uh, your water will freeze, your food will freeze if it's cold, um, and you can keep it warm that way. Or keep it near you because uh, if you're keeping yourself cool, you're keeping your food and water cool at the same time. So, yeah. Uh, let's see. Number six, avoid double wall containers. A double wall container basically is a, a metal container like a, a thermos. Um, a lot of times a thermos, you know, those um, what are they, Yeti thermoses and things of that nature, um, the Stanley thermoses. Um, those are good if you're just going to be putting something in it um, and, and storing it for, you know, a few hours or a few days. Never, never use one of those to boil water in. Um, what happens is uh, a double layer, um, it has a, a layer 
on the inside that holds your your beverage and then the layer on the outside which is an outside um it's outside the container it basically uh keeps it from puncturing or getting getting messed up on the outside keeps it thermal you know basically keeps it hot or cold right but inside those two there's a little gap and in that little gap it's a vacuum seal gap and sometimes they put different gases in there um to have that vacuum in there um sometimes they have no vac no no gases or anything or it's just a vacuum uh when you put it on a fire those things can can pop generally they don't explode they just pop a seam um if you end up having to use one of those um If you're going to end up having one of those, what you do is you pop a hole in it and then um, you can put it in the fire if you if you have some way to relieve the vacuum so that when it heats up, it doesn't build up pressure inside of it. Um, Mrs. Onyx asked about the uh, survival buckets aren't temperature controlled. I'm talking about extreme temperature, extreme freezing temperatures and extreme hot temperatures. Those buckets are inside the house. In, in a room that's not heated, but it's still inside the house. So it's more protected than if it was outside in the elements. Good question there. Good question. All right. Number five, avoid cheap multi-tools. See if I could find it. I don't have one. I was going to say, I, I've gotten cheap multi-tools um, from various places. Here's one. Here's a cheap multi-tool. This is a cheap multi-tool. It used to have a wrench on the end here, uh, and it has like different screwdrivers and stuff like that. Avoid these, uh, or multi-tools that have pliers on them that are really cheap. Uh, the scissors don't cut very well. The blades don't stay sharp, and they're not very sharp. The 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 it's put together real flimsily. Um, the things on it break. Like this had a wrench on it, and it breaks. Um, the pliers on a lot of those things they don't they don't do what they're supposed to do properly you can't open and close them because the the handles are all wonky and stuff like that if you're going to get a multi-tool get a really good quality multi-tool avoid cheap multi-tools okay number four avoid cord saws most cord saws are worthless in a survival situation a cord saw basically is a string of metal like a metal cord with rings or loops at the end where you can then put it over a, a piece of wood and you go like this and it and it cuts cuts the wood cuts a branch or whatever a regular folding saw does a better job with that um or even a pocket chainsaw pocket chainsaw takes up about the same amount of room as a cord saw most cord saws don't work. The little rings on the end pop off. The the loops on the end pop off. The cord itself is made of flimsy material, so it doesn't actually cut well. Even the really, really, really well-made ones don't really work all that well. So I would avoid a cord saw because other things work a lot better than a cord saw. Okay? So number three. Don't leave your water filter in the cold or heat. Um, if you have like a life straw or some kind of a water filter that you put on a bottle and then you can drink, um, like let's say you take dirty water, put it in the bottle, you, you screw your 
um, your water filter on it, and then you drink. And the the when you're drinking, the water filter filters the the water, so that way you're having water that doesn't have pathogens in it. And it's healthier for you, uh, it's safer for you when you're in a survival situation, or if you're using a life straw or whatever. Don't let those things get cold. Where you're in a like let's say a cold situation where you know it's going to freeze overnight, keep your life straw or your filter in your sleeping bag with you down by your feet or or in in your sleeping bag somewhere with you so they don't freeze. What'll happen is the filter itself if it has any water in it will freeze and break the filter and make it not work anymore. Uh also even if it doesn't have water in it, the cold temperatures can compromise the the filter itself. It freezes the filter and makes it brittle and then it makes it so it doesn't work anymore. So avoid those. Okay, number two, hollow handled knives. Hollow handled knives are all the rage. They call them Rambo knives, whatever. They're the survival knives that um, they look cool and they have like serrated thing around the back and it's a big blade and, and the handle itself. If you open up the handle, inside the handle there's like fishing stuff and there's matches and, and the end of the the end of the handle it'll have like um a compass on it sometimes or mirror or whatever those things are so cheap um even the really good ones i wouldn't i wouldn't use because the handle is riveted bolted or welded on to the blade that is a point of weakness so you wouldn't be able to um baton stuff with it very well so the the blade will break easily most of the time the stuff in the handle is stuff that you could you could just get on your own and put it into like a little um tin on your own like a survival tin you could take a a mentos tin or a um sucrets tin just a little tin and you put your stuff in there and then you can carry that in your pocket and you have more stuff in it than one of those survival knives and you could have a, a full tang a full tang knife is if this is the knife and this is the tip of the blade and this is the end of the handle, the the metal goes through from the tip of the blade all the way to the end of the handle and is has has like something as a handle connected to it or taped to it or whatever. So that get a full tang knife, don't get one of those st stupid um hollow handle knives. And the last one. 10 things to avoid. Number one, avoid taking for granted you know how to use that thing, that gear, that device, whatever that thing is. If you have a bug out bag, if you have a, a camping kit, emergency preparedness kit, if you've got a uh, pre-packed survival kit, if you've got a survival tin, whatever it is, don't take for granted that you know how to use whatever is in your thing. Actually use it. Learn how to use it. Because if, you, if you're out in a survival situation, you don't have the time and you don't have the, the luxury of taking the time to learn how to use something. Know that you know how to use it. Actually take it out and use it. If you've never used a ferro rod, what's the point of having the ferro rod if you don't know how to use it properly? What's the point of having a knife if you don't know how to use it properly? What's the point of having a paracord if you don't know how to use it properly? Whatever it is, avoid taking for granted that you know how to use it. 
Just because you've seen somebody else do it doesn't mean that you're automatically going to know how to do it. So that is the Outpost Survival Tip of the Week. Outpost Survival Tip of the Week. Ten things to avoid. Yeah. So, yeah. Now we're going to get into... This is going to be great. Now we're going to get into back in the day. Is it? Back in the day. This one is going to be really detailed. And you guys are going to hate it. Okay. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and pull up a uh, website to describe what I'm talking about. Here we go. Let's do um, this. Boom. Back in the day, we had before the internet. This is way before the internet. Okay. How did people communicate with each other before the internet over phone lines? So back in the day, when I was when I was really little, this thing was invented. I'm old enough. I'm older than the internet. So um, the internet as we know it. Back in the day, BBS, bulletin board systems, were invented. They were invented during a blizzard in Chicago in 1978. Okay? In 1978, uh, you had um, this dude right here. This dude, Ward Chisel. So during the blizzard of 1978, they called it the Great Blizzard. Ward Christensen and Randy Seuss. Uh, they were hobbyists in a um, in a local computer hobbyist exchange. It was the Chicago area computer hobbyist exchange. It was basically a computer club, and they were friends in this computer club. And when the uh, blizzard hit, um, one of the dudes was like, "Hey, um, why don't we try to figure out how to communicate with each other through through phone lines?" So he created a protocol for communicating between com com you know, one computer and another computer. And um, he came up with a modem, or he started using modems. A modem is a modulator-demodulator. That's what modem stands for, modulator-demodulator. And he made this program that allowed two computers to communicate with each other over a phone line. And then it was, uh, you know, put into actual, um, you know, they, they made modems later on that people would actually be able to use. So um, this guy, uh, Ward Christensen um, and his buddy, they were describing uh, what they were talking about, what they wanted to do. OK, so the one guy goes, you know, wouldn't it be great if um, we could connect one computer to another computer and we can connect them in a way where we can leave messages. Like when we were in the lunchroom, um, we could leave uh, notes for each other. Like at the bulletin board in the lunchroom or at the school, they have a, a bulletin board that you could put a note saying, hey, I need a ride, whatever. I need a roommate, whatever. You could leave a note on this bulletin board. So he was like, you know what? Let's make a computerized bulletin board. So they called it a CBBS computer bulletin board system, okay? Uh, but CBBSs, uh, what, what we know as bulletin board systems, we knew they were computer bulletin board systems, BBSs. So I, I, know, I know them as BBSs. I've, I've been using BBSs for an extended period of time. So BBSs, 
So a BBS is basically a bulletin board system that uh, the computer runs a server software uh, computer dials up to that other computer. Like if I wanted to connect to a computer, I would have the phone number of that other computer. I would dial it in, put it into my modem software. My modem would dial to the other computer. The other computer would answer and then they would communicate with each other using software. They would synchronize and they would start talking to each other. And then messages would come up on my computer and uh, messages would come up on the other person's computer. Um, these were basically the original social networks. Uh, bulletin boards or BBSs were for all types of things. There are a whole bunch of different reasons why people use BBSs. Um, and here, here are some what BBSs would have, okay? So a classic BBS would be a computer, one or more modems, one or more phone lines, okay? They would have BBS software on them. They would have a sysop or system operator, and then they would have a user community. It was the first social network, the user community, a community of people who, who logged on to the, the thing, okay? So what do they do? What was the point? Okay, the point of connecting to a bulletin board system was um, they had a, uh, a visual menu system of or textual menu system, okay? They had a way to send messages between one person and another person, and that are that that eventually became what they call email, because I would send an electronic mail message through a bulletin board to somebody else, and they would send a reply back to me. So we would be able to communicate with each other by sending messages back and forth to each other. We can upload and download these messages. Um, and they would use uh, either like X modem, Y modem, Z modem. Um, I used Z modem uh, as my stuff. You know, uh, they would have a files area a lot of times where you could download uh, computer games. You could download, um, you know, different software. You could download um, pictures. You could download um uh, very, you know, just, just different files. There was a file sharing thing. You, a lot of times it was you downloading the files. Every once in a while you would upload something, but most of the time it was downloading something. Um, you could have a live view of all the activity of all the other people who, um, who called in. Now, what it would do is it would display uh, how many users were online or on that computer at the time or how many people called that day or how many people um, were using it at any given time that day, whatever. The system operators could see everything that everybody was doing. Then they would have a way to vote, polls, or a way for people to vote on things. They would have um, a, like, hey, what do you think of this? You know, um, would you rather do this or do that? And then you would vote on that. Um, would you rather get this game or this game? Would you rather have this software or this software? And you would vote on it. So there was statistics uh, on people who posted messages. They would have the top uploaders, the top downloaders, who upload the the top downloaded and uploaded software. Um, they had online games. They were normally single player uh, for for individuals to play games. Now, 
those games were so fun and so interesting. Most of them were text-based games. I remember uh, text adventure games, a lot of text adventure games. I was first introduced to them through a bulletin board system. Uh, and I used to make some of those games, uh, and I used to distribute games through bulletin board systems also. Um, there was a, a doorway for third-party games. So let's say somebody else made a game. A BBS would then have a way that you can play that game through their BBS, but it would be somebody else's game. Um, having auditing capabilities, whatever. Multi-user chat. So multi-user chat. Okay, so there was there was uh, MRC, multi-user uh, relay chat, and then there was IRC, internet relay chat. Well, BBSs were the first way that you can chat with people by sending people messages uh, and it was as instant as you can get going over a phone line okay there was internet mail email whatever um and, and it was normally based on just that bbs but sometimes what the bulletin boards would do is they would connect to a centralized bulletin board and then download e email from other places so you can download um, you could communicate with people on other message boards if you wanted to. Um, there was uh, there was networking between BBSs or message boards, so you could leave messages for people or whatever. Uh, there was um, so you could if you were let's say you were in trouble or whatever and you wanted some help. Uh, sometimes you could actually try to commute. You can communicate with the system operator directly. Uh, and if the system operator were available, then they'd be able to talk with you and chat with you. So that's uh, that's basically the way BBS has worked back in the day, um, is you'd be able to, to communicate. Okay, so you had uh, the pre precursor to the public bulletin board system was the community memory thing at Berkeley, California, started in 1973, and that was just in-house there. Uh, there were similar things to BBSs uh, in, within schools and within military uh, establishments, but they were just um, for those those specific places. Um, the BBSs that people were making or that, that this guy created, they took off. Like people started using bulletin board systems after that all over the place, just copying the software uh, it was uh, shareware or, or uh, open source, so people could just download the software and modify it however they wanted to. Um, this is a picture of a modem. The modem basically would allow your computer to communicate with the phone line and the phone line to communicate with the computer. And then uh, higher speeds came about later on. And around 1994 is when the, the actual Internet that we know of right now came about around 1984, or 1994. So not until 1994 did the internet actually come about. And uh, bulletin board systems around 1995 became a little bit obsolete. There are some bulletin board systems, BBSs, that have survived the entire time and have always been up and running. So, oh, this is... A, that's a computer right there, like the one I used to use. 
Uh, I my first BBS uh, experience was on a Commodore 64, uh, and then on a TRS-80, and then um, when uh, when I used bulletin board systems a little bit more, I started using them on a um, a uh, Mac Plus. I would use a Mac Plus, so we would use you know the Macintosh to get on the bulletin board systems. So BBSs have been around for a long long time by the way you ever had a zip file zip files were invented because of bbs's that's where zip files came from was bbs's so let me uh, zoom in here i'm going to zoom into this thing here okay so what if you wanted to connect to a bbs today well there's this this website telnet bbs guide telnetbbsguide.com and they have a list of BBSs and you can sort through them. You can get a detailed description of them. You can get a brief description of them. Um, and let's say like Mad World, it tells you their address, what kind of software they're using for their BBS, what kind of connection they use, and then, you know, description of what they've got going on. You want more information about that specific PBS, you click the more info thing and it'll try to give you more. This one is actually in Kansas City. What? Mad World BBS is in Kansas City. Oh man, if I would have known that, I would have called that guy and he could have been on the show with me right now. I'm totally going to connect to that one when I get home. Boom. Mad World BBS. Boom. So. So there are different BBSs that do different things. Uh, a lot of them have games that you can connect to. See, there's some worldwide you can connect to them. If you have Telnet, they tell you you can connect through that. SSH is a little bit more secure. You can connect through SSH. And then you can connect with a modem. A lot of these things, you could still use a modem by dialing a phone number. And that's the software. And you can do it. You can connect through dial-up, SSH, or Telnet. This this website's pretty cool because you can say, okay, I want to connect only through a modem, or I want to connect only through Telnet, or I want to connect only from SSH, or if you want a specific software, you can actually. Well, they're not doing it now, but you could you could even look for a specific software in there, and you could even go by name. So let's say, well, what other what other um, what other BBSs are there besides Mad World and all this? And then you've got all the ones that start with an M. These are all ones that start with an M. So if you wanted to look for one that starts with a, uh, M is married with comedy or a J. So J, just J, whatever, J's Cafe. You've got all these different, different um, BBSs you connect to. So if you've never used a BBS, I would encourage you to use a BBS. BBSs are really fun. Um, old school. Uh, connecting to a BBS is not hard. I was able to connect to a BBS using my PC. You, they've got software out there, PC and the Mac. In the link, or There's a link in the description below uh, for that website, but also uh, where you can get software to connect to a BBS with Mac or PC. Um, I also downloaded uh, Juice, Juice, um, Juice something, Juice SSH or whatever. Juice um, is a, a um, Android tablet version 
of the terminal thing. So I have a large tablet. I was able to um, connect to a VBS, a bulletin board system on a tablet and then like the keyboard on the tablet or whatever. So I can, I can do the things I needed to do. So, so that was really, really fun. Yeah. Back in the day it was BBSs. So, yeah. I hope you liked that one. Cause that was, that was a, uh, one of my favoriteest ones. All right, so now we're going to do take off back in the day. Pathetic pet of the week. I hear cars and stuff outside. You hear that? That's a really loud vehicle. All right, so today's pathetic pet of the week is... Boom, this guy right here. That guy right there. Today's pathetic pet of the week is Howie. This is Howie. Nice to meet you, Howie. And this is Howie in a little little house. Little like dollhouse. This is Howie playing in some sheets. This is Howie sitting at a table looking around. This is Howie hanging out in a sink. You know, very photogenic. Howie, what a pretty kitty. Howie is a tabby in Mission, Kansas, a young male, medium-sized, tabby, gray, blue, silver. He's a friendly, affectionate, playful, smart, curious, couch potato, funny and gentle, good in a home with children, his short hair, all his uh, stuff is up to date. So meet Howie, gorgeous social kitty seeking a new home. Howie is a lovely one-year-old boy who loves people, loves people. Tiny kiddos can stress him out a little bit, but he'd love a home with other kids, older kids or adults to spend time with. How he loves to play and lounge around and generally be where you are because he loves being around people. He's a sweet boy and he's neutered and he's up to date on all the shots, but he requires some special food because of a urinary issue uh, he was diagnosed with, probably a urinary tract infection. The food isn't hard to find. Uh, and look at that pretty boy. Totally worth the extra money for the special food that he has to eat. We have a we have a dog that has a special diet, so I'm pretty sure animals with special diet, not the big deal. If you're interested in making Howie part of your family, reach out. Call 913-671-7387. He's at The Pet Connection Incorporated. The Pet Connection Incorporated in Mission, Kansas. So the pathetic pet of the week is Howie. Check out Howie. Oh my gosh. Howie. Howie's such a good kitty. Look at that. Look at Howie. Oh my goodness. Oh my gosh. Look at that, Howie. Oh my goodness. Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. So that's uh, the pathetic pet of the week is Howie. Howie's the pathetic pet of the week. Yeah. All right, well, here we go. The last little bit is uh, trivia snap. So the trivia question was, American pioneer John Chapman was famous for planting which kind of tree? The answer is the apple tree. John Chapman was Johnny Appleseed. John Chapman is commonly known as Johnny Appleseed. 
that's uh that's that's pretty much it if you want to send us fan mail send us fan mail care of comedy bits p.o box 369 Lathrop, missouri 64465 if you'd like to send us hate mail if you're an angry feminist send us hate mail care of comedy bits p.o box 369 Lathrop, missouri 64465 and um uh, yeah that's pretty much it right that's pretty much it episode eight is over You've been listening to Married with Comedy with Jeff Onyx. Special guest on the phone was James R. Freeman. Joe wasn't around this time. That's sad. <laughs>